Hello and welcome in. It is another week of Jay talking our way around the Toronto Blue Jays minor league organization. I'm Jesse Goldberg-Strassler with the Lansing Lugnuts. Over the course of this week's show, you know it. We go around the dial. We talk about what's going on with every single affiliate. But the theme of this week's show is trade talk. That is because the Toronto Blue Jays yesterday made a deal with the Boston Red Sox. They sent Steve Pierce to the Red Sox and they picked up player named Santiago Espinal from the Salem Red Sox, who has now been added to the advanced Dunedin Blue Jays roster. And to find out more about Santiago Espinal, to learn more about him, let me bring in Ben Gelman, the voice of the Salem Red Sox himself. So let's talk, Ben. Santiago Espinal is a shortstop that the Red Sox drafted out of Miami-Dade College in the 10th round a couple of years ago. He's not the biggest guy. He fits the mold of that scrappy shortstop that you think about when you picture the young guys developing. Uh, He's got good positional flexibility. We've seen him at shortstop, second base, and third base with the Red Sox this season. And coming into this year, what I expected was a guy who fields the position well, who's got some versatility, who's able to do a little bit of everything in the mold of a guy like John Birdie with a little less speed. What I didn't expect was power. But that's what we have gotten with the Salem Red Sox. Santi, coming into yesterday's game, had batted 314 with seven home runs and 32 runs batted in. Now, bear in mind, in 149 career games entering the 2018 season, Santiago Espinal only had four career home runs. And our ballpark is not the easiest to hit a ball out of. We've got 20-foot-high walls all the way around. So he's been doing it with some real power. It's been very impressive to see, and there is a very good reason that he was named a Carolina League first-half All-Star. What was the reaction in Salem after the news came out about the trade yesterday? Well, I haven't spoken that much to the players, but I can tell you that the reaction in our front office was downright sorrowful. Santiago Espinal has been one of the best players for our front office employees to deal with, and I'll give you an example Jesse, as a broadcaster, you've dealt with players who are reticent about giving an interview. They don't want to appear on the microphone or on camera too often. Santiago Espinal has been badgering us to let him do more interviews, not because he wants to be the center of attention or a star, but because he wants to practice doing interviews so his English is better for when he's up the ladder and has opportunities to give interviews there. That's a very mature approach to the media process for a young player, and it's one that's really impressed me and a number of other people around here. Down in the clubhouse, you have to think he's going to be missed for baseball reasons alone. He's also exceedingly well-liked. He's one of the bilingual players in the clubhouse who's able to be a go-between for some of the speaking ballplayers and the players who speak only English. He has been really a vital cog for us this season. Do you have a major league comp for him? Is there a player that you say, this is the type of player that he is? He's much in the vein of a Tim Anderson with a little less pop. He's got good up-the-middle flexibility, not a tremendous arm. He's athletic without being huge, and he does the little things well. There's a a touch of Ryan Goins to his game, though I would hesitate to compare anybody to Ryan Goins defensively. It's been very impressive to see the strides that Santiago Espinal has taken this year, and it's not for nothing that the Red Sox are among the top teams in our league in turning double plays. He's been a big, big part of that. That's good to hear. What was your very first impression of him 
when you first met him and first watched him play? Well, he came into the locker room that first day with a big smile the way he did just about every day. And I saw him take his cuts in the batting cage. I really admired how smooth his stroke was. A lot of line drive contact from him. Did a very good job with that. And as I watched him play over the course of the year, I was really amazed by how easy he made every at-bat look and how well he battled. He has great bat-to-ball skills. Earlier this year, he matched a career high with a 12-game hitting streak, May 1st through the 13th. And then yesterday, he was working on a 15-game hitting streak before he was pulled after his first at-bat. So he unfortunately lost it short of 16 games. That was just an unfortunate turn of events for Santi. But he's a great player all around. He's very well-liked in the locker room. And he's a guy that has his head on straight. You hear scouts asking all the time about a guy's character, a guy's face, as they put it. Santiago Espinal is a man of exceedingly high character. He's a great clubhouse guy, and the Blue Jays really got a nice organizational piece. Thank you very much for joining Around the Nest and letting us know all about the man that you call Santi. Oh, it's my pleasure, Jesse. I'm happy to be the voice of scouting reports from the Carolina League anytime, and it's always a pleasure to get back to Around the Nest where I spent so many fun Fridays. All right. Ben Gelman, voice of the Salem Red Sox, checking in to let us know about Santiago Espinal. used to be the, uh, one of the broadcasters for the New Hampshire Fisher Cats. How about that for a return engagement? Let me hand the phone right now to my broadcast colleague, Dante DeCaria, with the Lansing Lugnuts, just so we'll check in and see how the Lugnuts are doing recently. What's going on with the Lansing Lugnuts in terms of 50 wins this season? Well, Jesse, thanks so much for having me on the show once again, and I personally think that the Lansing Lugnuts have just overcome so much adversity with the Lansing Lugnuts team uh, this season. They have 50 wins. Um, Maximo Castillo set a team-high record, 16 consecutive scoreless innings. Um, No matter who has came into the team this season, they have had success. So I am really happy with the way that this team has performed this season, and they're carrying a lot of momentum into the playoffs. Maximo Castillo has extended his consecutive scoreless inning streak to 16. What's been working so well with him? Well, personally, I just think that he's having fastball command and he's uh, establishing a um, a pretty new changeup. Actually, um, his changeup wasn't necessarily his go-to pitch in Bluefield last season, and he told both you and I that um, he's been doing an excellent job mixing and matching. And what I mean by that is how he's using his fastball. He gets strike one. He'll throw the curveball, depending on the batter, and then he'll throw the changeup. And I think that Maximo Castillo is just becoming smarter and smarter, and that's really all it is. We know that Maximo Castillo has the stuff to be one of the top pitchers, not only in the Blue Jays organization, of course, he's already ranked the number 24 uh, prospect in the organization, but also um, he has the making uh, to become a major league reliever, according to the coaching staff, and maybe a starter. What else stands out to you about this recent stretch for the Midwest Leaguers, a team with 50 victories this year? Well, the one thing that stands out to me the most about what you just said is how Ben was actually in the Blue Jays organization and is a uh, around-the-nest alumni. So I thought that was pretty cool uh, to hear that. But, I mean, other than that, I think the one thing that stands out about the Lugnuts is um, their bullpen and their rotation. Um, Although the, the bats have hit, Um, over the last stretch of games, at least since the second half. Um, I think the rotation has done an excellent job. We had uh, two great outings, I mean, great outings, scoreless baseball from uh, Maximo Castillo. 
Uh, Maverick Bufo had a really good last outing. Donnie Sellers has been good in his last two since the break. Uh, Matt Gunter looked promising in his last game. So I think the rotation has done well. The only rough spot was Cole Laws, and that was just kind of a, a hiccup because he had been very good over his last few games. And then if you look at the bullpen, uh, Danny Jimenez has had a great month of June. Uh, Claudio Custodio, who's done an excellent job out of the bullpen. Um, Brody Rodney's been a great shutdown reliever, especially getting ground balls. Although Matt Shannon was allowing a lot of runs and now goes on the disabled list, um, I thought that he uh, was doing a really good job. All the balls that were hit off him were ground balls that found the hole and weak contact. Kyle Weatherly pitched us three scoreless innings last night, and after a rough outing in Lake County, he hasn't allowed a run over his last three appearances in a stretch of uh, nine uh, consecutive innings. So um, everybody's kind of doing their part, but I think the pitching has been uh, the biggest eye-opener um, and the biggest uh, – or that's impressed me the most, uh, at least since the start of the second half. With those pitchers in specific, about a Maximo Castillo or about a Maverick Fufo, a Donnie Sellers, with the Lugnut starting rotation, would you now say that it's one of the strengths of this team? 100%, Jesse. Uh, I, I really do think that just because um, the team is growing and starts at the top. I said this on last night's broadcast. The pitching rotation, the pitching staff as a whole starts at the top, and that goes with pitching coach Tony Costras. The pitchers just respect them so much and he respects his pitchers, he knows how to work with them, that it makes the staff so much better. And, and Jesse, you know this more than I do. You were with Tony in 2009. He, Tony's been around this organization for a long time, and he is just a great guy to learn from. I learned so much from Tony. I know you do as well. And I think the pitchers kind of just feed off what Tony gives them. And just the overall clubhouse atmosphere with Martin and Dave Pano, Matty Young, um, you know how much the hitters love Matty Young, and we know how much the, the pitchers love Tony Costers. And I think Tony, just for how smart he is, feeds that to the pitchers, and the pitchers are becoming smarter on the mound. Tony will go through his um, his pregame meetings about today's about the the game, and the pitchers will do and execute exactly what Tony says. If he says, "Okay, this guy uh, can hit the high fastball," you throw him off speed low, but you need to be able to mix and match. The pitchers are going to do that, and if they don't, Tony's going to tell them. You can find Dante DeCary on Twitter at Diamond underscore Dante, checking in and broadcasting the Lansing Lugnuts games with me. I'm the only Canadian broadcaster that we can find broadcasting minor league baseball in America. Dante, thank you very much. Hey, Jesse, no problem. And then one more thing I want to say, of course, with Rob Faye coming on, he's the other Canadian uh, broadcaster in minor league baseball. Uh, I just want to Say happy Canada Day. Sunday is July 1st, and although it's going to be my first Independence Day in America, I'm excited for that, but I just want to say happy Canada Day for all the uh, Canadian Blue Jays fans uh, tuning into the show. Hey, Rob, any thoughts? Well, that's pandering if I've ever heard it, but uh, no, we'll definitely take it. We'll flip <laughs> it right back to you three days forward when it's the 4th of July. Thank you, guys. <laughs> all right, from Dante, let's go to Rob, the voice of the seas, at Rob Fay Nation. Rob, Tell me, with this recent influx of 2018 draftees, have you seen them making a difference with Vancouver? Uh, well, there's no doubt about it. You can go up and down the roster, and you'll find guys that are having an immediate impact. And even if they're not doing it with the bat, they're definitely doing it defensively. Um, Griffin Conine, of course, the second rounder out of Duke that everybody's got their eye on, uh, wasn't really off to the hottest of starts when it came to the offense. But you know what? The defense was stellar. He's got maybe one of the best arms I've ever seen 
in a Vancouver Canadiens uniform, which says something. I made an early comparison to Jesse Barfield, which, of course, drew the ire of longtime Blue Jay fans, saying he's not there yet. But let's just say when he comes to Lansing and eventually makes his way up through the system, everybody will get a taste of a very good defensive right fielder. Chris Beck, a catcher, a little undersized out of the University of Maine, but defensively very athletic. And he kind of reminds me of the millennial catcher, a guy, you know, we always used to think of the Sal Fasano type body, with all due respect to Sal. Uh, but now you're looking at guys that are 5'11", 6 feet tall, that are super agile, that can uh, run with the best of them. And I notice on the base pass, Chris Beck, uh, is not a liability coming from that position. And uh, to me, there's just a lot of upside to the 2018 draft kid so far. Let me continue with this. Nick Podcool, your thoughts? Nick Podcool is uh, a fantastic interview. He is a guy that is very well-versed in baseball. His father, who passed away a couple of years, uh, left behind a wonderful understanding of the game. Uh, but more than anything with Nick is this is a guy that's not going to clear the fence or bang the wall a lot but a great sense of the strike zone. I mean, he works pitchers to the nub, kind of looked like Andy Shawshank's uh, little nub at the end of the Shawshank Redemption or Andy Dufresne. He's just a guy that wears pitchers out. And even though they're eight pitch at bats, nine pitch at bats, the thing that you love about him is he doesn't buckle. He's like a stubborn ex-girlfriend. He just doesn't give in to anything. And and then he'll find his way on and you see pitchers shaking their head. You see Podkul getting a fist bump over at first. And you say to yourself, that was a heck of an at bat right there. And we've seen a lot of those this season early on. What do you think of the fourth rounder, Sean Weimer? You know, he's kind of gotten lost in the shuffle, and I think it's because we've only seen him for limited innings. The stuff is there. Um, it doesn't stand out to me, not yet at least. And I don't know if it's because he had a long season at Texas Christian or uh, where he's at right now with Jim Sikowski as far as what they're trying to accomplish. But, um, gosh, I wish I had a, a more prominent, like, oh, my God moment from him, but I haven't. It's just been very serviceable. Um, he's got a good repertoire of pitches. He's got three that he can throw for strikes, and maybe that's good enough at this level, um, but just not memorable, at least not as of yet. Lastly, let me ask you a question prompted by the minor leaguer, and that was this. Do you have any good with this trade deadline rolling around and with the trade that we just saw happen yesterday? Any good trade stories involving things that you have heard or things involving players? The very first ever hot stove luncheon that we had had Alex Anthopoulos, of course, the old general manager of the Toronto Blue Jays in town, and it was the dead of winter. I want to say it was right around the last week of January, and he was late for his interview on stage. So as the guy that was hosting the first annual event, I was in a panic. My hair was turning gray, and I thought, where is this guy? Am I getting big leagued? So he ends up coming downstairs, shakes hands, kisses babies, does the whole to-do, and then immediately gets on the plane to go back to Toronto. No sooner than 30 minutes after he's left do we find out that he's just traded Vernon Wells for Mike Napoli. And I had him right there in front of me. And all I had to do was ask the question. He probably would have been cool enough to answer it. But I didn't get the memo until he was on the, on the tarmac getting ready to leave Vancouver. And I'll never forget it. It's not a deadline story, but it's a moment where I had an exclusive and didn't get the memo in time. Wow. Rob Fay, voice of the Vancouver Canadians. Thank you for dropping by this week and around the chest. The only thing I'll take with me is that I called him Andy Shawshank and not Andy Dufresne, man. I got to do better, man. It's back to the grind for me. I'll be better next week. I understood exactly what you meant. I loved it. That works for me. <laughs> Good stuff. All right, Jesse. Talk soon. Rob Fay, the voice of the Vancouver Canadians. I'm Jesse Goldberg-Strassler, and this is Around the Nest. And you understand, whenever Rob Fay joins the show, we get to be around the chest. That's the fun part about it, adding in the Vancouver Canadians. As we're working our way up and down the ladder, 
We've heard from Dante DiCario with Lansing, also Ben Gelman, Voice of Salem, about Santiago Espinal. And let's keep on working our way around. But with regard to trade stories, here's one of the first ones that came to mind for me. And that is, uh, when the Troy Tulowitzki deal went down, I posted on a Bluebird Banters forum. I posted about Jason Lovelabedian's response. But the Lansing Lugnuts had a player involved in that trade, and that was the fact that, hey, Jesus Tinoco was one of the guys going to the Colorado Rockies. And we all found out before Tinoco that he had slept in that morning, and all of the players, when he arrived to the bus to go to the road, we all told them, hey, you're traded, you're gone. And that's what we've had for a couple of different years with the Lansing Lugnuts in that time. As Alex Anthopoulos was trading players, well, a number of them were Lansing Lugnuts. I walked into a Burger King in Lake County, Ohio, and there was Tim LoCastro sitting, eating a burger with teammates. And as I walked in to say hi, Tim said, Jesse, I just got traded. And everyone was trying to figure out for who. All they could figure out was that it was to the Los Angeles Dodgers. And then we found out it was so that the Blue Jays could sign Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And that was where we all found out was in a Burger King in Lake County, Ohio. Let me bring in the voice of the Buffalo Bisons right now, Pat Malacaro. Pat, do you have any great trade stories? Hi, Jesse. Um, I do, although it's from a different sport. Is that okay? Absolutely. Okay. Well, in, in my other life, I also cover uh, the NHL Buffalo Sabres uh, in Buffalo, and it just so happens that their general manager um, doesn't travel on the road during the trade deadline at the time. So I was sent to cover the team in place of our regular um, beat reporter who travels with the team and I was in Tampa it was trade deadline day for the NHL and I'm watching on TV as no more no less than I think three players found out while watching TV that they were being traded one of them actually um, the folks I believe it was at Sportsnet were that had the the coverage and one of them called and asked uh, Chris Stewart what his thoughts on going to Minnesota were going to be and he paused and said, oh, I'm going to Minnesota. Great. And that was the first he found out about going to Minnesota. So um, it's funny, and it can be surreal at times. And unfortunately, with the way that, uh, you know, social media and the way that uh, we all want to get the story first can happen, sometimes the players just don't find out in, in those last moments of a trade deadline. And, and I will never forget sitting at a restaurant in Tampa and watching the Sabres um, have a couple guys traded before they even knew it. Wow. Let me ask you about your AAA All-Stars now. What are your thoughts about Danny Jansen and Jason Leblebegian getting honored? I think they're well-deserved and much expected and anticipated. For Jason Leblebegian, he becomes just the fourth Bison, and as long as he goes to Columbus in another week, uh, which we expect him to, uh, he will become the third in the modern era to have appeared uh, in an All-Star game in back-to-back years uh, for Buffalo, the first since Ernie Young in 2004 and 2005. So um, it's a great honor for him. I think, you know, you can just look at the numbers themselves and they tell you he's having a decent year. But I think if you watch Jason in the field at third base, you're seeing a guy who's very competent and in very much in command at the hot corner this year. And it's something that the coaching staff has taken notice of. And for Danny Jensen, look, I mean, he is one of the top, prospects in the international league period right now still hitting in the top 10 in batting at 299 he's been on the shelf for a couple of days hit by a pitch on the hand in the first game of the series against Pawtucket luckily he escaped the worst of it no broken bones in the in the left hand um, just a bad bruise 
has been uh, gradually working up to swinging a bat and, and gripping a bat again. So he won't be in the lineup again tonight. And yesterday, Jason Lovelabijan was scratched from the lineup uh, late as well. So, um, you know, two guys that the Bisons have counted on this season, uh, they haven't had it in the lineup yesterday. And uh, if the lineup holds true of what uh, the card has scratched out today, we won't see him again today. But uh, quite honestly, you could have seen another one or two players if the Bisons were leading the Northern Division. Maybe you could have seen Roman Fields with the season he's having at 14 stolen bases and the fact that anything hit to the outfield, it has to be a home run to get past him. Um, so well-deserved for those two. And who knows, with with uh, with the MLB uh, All-Star game being a different week as a AAA one, we could see more guys added to the roster in the future. How did your players and you take in Ryan Barucki's Major League Baseball debut? I had my iPad on, and I used the MLB uh, at-bat app. So um, I was a little – I was, have one eye on the game and one eye on, on Ryan's start in Houston, and um, it was great to see. And I know that as soon as the Bison game ended, the guys shook hands because the, the Bison picked up the win and snapped the losing streak that night. They shook hands. They went to the clubhouse, and they were all watching intently uh, on Ryan's start into the sixth inning. Um, and there was not a TV in the clubhouse that didn't have the Blue Jays and Astro game on, and everyone and, I, and I'm, everyone was watching and cheering him on as as he was uh, holding the world champs uh, to just two runs. So Barucky goes up, and you get John Harris. And how did you like watching Harris in your first impression? He was very fun to watch yesterday. Consistently popping the glove at ninety three, ninety four. One thing that has been a trouble spot for young pitchers has been leaving the ball up in the zone. We've seen that from Sean Reed Foley. Um, maybe it's just partly nerves. Well, for, for John Harris, he was the exact opposite. He had very good sync on his, on his fastball yesterday, induced a lot of ground balls. In fact, you know, for the most part, up until late in his start, uh, everything was on the ground. So it was mission accomplished uh, for a guy who had won three straight in double A. Uh, he made it four in a row between the two levels and, he was as advertised, you know, he made uh, rumblings a little bit when he took a no-hitter through six in Akron earlier this month, and a guy that, uh, you know, would have been on my radar from, from that point on, and he was as advertised yesterday. And lastly, tell me about Darnell Sweeney. Well, he's been, he's been a super utility guy this year, and according to reports, he's in the big leagues today. So uh, good, good, news, uh, good news for Darnell Sweeney is he's been a guy who can play all over the field, drafted as a shortstop, he said he feels most comfortable there. I know there's a need in the big leagues for uh, a guy to be a sort of a backup utility guy on the left side of the infield. He's played the outfield without issue. He's not a guy because of the nature of the utility role. Um, he's not a guy that maybe will stand out in any specific spot in the lineup. Not, you know, a, a, a jack of all trades, master of none type uh, situation where he never looks out of place, always looks good. And being a switch hitter as well, uh, it's one thing that makes him that much more valuable. So he's been, been very good for the Bisons. And uh, with his expected promotion to Toronto today, with that extra 40-man spot after Steve Pierce was traded yesterday uh, to Boston, uh, good, good sign for Darnell that he's rewarded for the season he's put together. Is He was a guy that was not in the plans at the start of the year, uh, signed very late, right at the beginning of April, and had to sort of work his way into the lineup when there was a need, and he has excelled since then. Pat Malacaro, the voice of the herd, 
Thank you very much for your insights on Around the Nest. Always great to talk to you, Jesse. From Pat and AAA, let me bring in Dan Venn, who I can say broadcaster of Dunedin Blue Jays baseball because listen to this. Oh, my. Casey Clements puts a charge into this one. It is high. It is deep into the right field gap. It clears not only the fence but the palm trees in the right center field. A long home run for Casey Clemens. Casey must have got tired of seeing his brother stealing all the highlights with the home runs in the College World Series. He hits one of his own, and as he rounds third base, he actually gives the Texas horns to the fans behind home plate. Go Longhorns, go Blue Jays. Blue Jays take the first lead of the game 1-0 on a home run by Casey Clemens. Absolutely crushed to right center field. Hey, Dan, how does it feel to hear that call? I'll be honest with you, Jesse. That's actually the first time I've heard that audio. Jim didn't send it to me prior to today. So um, if I ever broadcast another game, I'll probably come up with a better home run call than just shouting, oh, my, when he hits the ball. But that was an oh, my type of shot off the bat of Casey Clemens there. It has to be honest. That's what broadcasters always say. Whatever you say, it just has to be organic and natural. And you got it. All right, let's talk trade time. And first, do you have any good trade stories? You know, I think last year we we were pretty untouched with trades, our team, thankfully. I remember last year we swapped our outfitter, Lane Thomas, over to the uh, Palm Beach Cardinals, and we actually ended up playing Palm Beach the next week. And before the game, Lane was walking across the field to talk to all his old teammates in our clubhouse, and we were up in the booth, and I told our music guy, like, hey, hit Lane Thomas's walk-up music. And we turned it on for him, and Lane stopped in the outfield and waved all of us up there. And, you know, I think we forget sometimes that, you know, baseball players aren't just pieces that get moved around. They're they're young men, and and you you know we have players in your clubhouse that you connect to. So when you get a chance to reconnect with one, like we did with Lane last year, it's it's really cool. With regard to trade time and with regard to picking up pieces or acquisitions, the Needham Blue Jays have been affected by this. Edward Pinto is a trade. Alberto Mineo, Rule Five, Ivan Castillo picked up, and you know what? You have seen dividends paid off by all three of those players. Yeah, we definitely have. You know, I made the mistake last night when I saw the, the news coming through on the Steve Pierce that I hit the, the comments on Twitter and I started reading through the comments and I was reading things like, oh, I've never heard of this guy or this Espinal guy's only an A-ball. He can't be any good. And, you know, and so I took some time today to look at some guys we've acquired last year that have made really big impacts on the, on the Dunedin team. Edward Pinto, a guy that we traded in for Jason Grilly last year, he is, I mean, he's the heart and soul of this team down here in Dunedin. He's actually been the hardest batter in all of minor league baseball to strike out the season, striking out once every 16 and a half plate appearances. Only Andrelton Simmons of the Angels has been harder to strike out in all of baseball. I mean, Pinto's our heart and our soul, both on the base pass, at the plate, and in the outfield. Uh, fan favorite as well. He's hitting 300. Really great acquisition there in the Greeley trade. And I think I saw the same comments at the time where people said, like, oh, never heard of Pinto. He must not be any good. So it's been great to you know, see him really showing himself in our system. Mineo was a Rule 5 pick in the Minor League Rule 5 out of the Cubs system. And, you know, the billing on him was he was going to be a good defensive catcher who might not hit that well, but he's hit 278, and more importantly, he's reached base at a 383 clip for us. But kind of the big thing with Maneo is when he's catching, our pitchers have a 2.73 ERA. When anyone else is catching, our pitchers have a 3.83 ERA. So him behind the plate, I mean, he's been huge for our pitching staff and a lot of our success our pitchers have had this season. Castillo, you know, we picked up a guy with over 100 
games of double-A experience in the Rule 5 draft and put him down to Eden, and he's been our best defensive player. He's played second, he's played third, he's played shortstop, and in the infield he is our goal-glove defender here, and he's hitting pretty well too. So those were three moves that didn't get a lot of attention at the time, and fans might have said, oh, I've never heard of that guy, but they've really paced our team this year. That to me is one of the purposes of Around the Nest, is to let folks know about who these guys are. And case in point, a couple of other players who are performing well for you that maybe people don't know about. Let me begin the outfield. Joshua Palacios, maybe folks have heard about. And you just talked about Eduardo Pinto. But Rodrigo Orozco has been a very productive batter for you. He has, and he started out the year as kind of our fourth outfielder, and now he's played his way into being a starter. And even though he spent about half the year as our fourth outfielder, he leads our team in runs scored. So he's been huge, whether he's been hitting at the top of the order or the bottom of the order. You mentioned Palacios. He's the guy that just keeps coming through in the clutch for us. The guy's hitting 343 with runners on. He's hitting 369 with runners in scoring position. He's hitting 433 with running, runners in scoring position and two outs. So Palacios and Orozco Pinto as well. I mean, our, our outfield is the heart and soul of our offense right now. And from your bullpen, Jake Fishman had that cup of coffee in AAA, and he's deserved it too. What have you seen from him on the mound? Absolutely. You know, we, I was really happy to see Fishman go up to AAA, but I was just as happy to see Fishman re-added to our bullpen because he's been so good for us. He actually had a tough month of April. He had a 5.40 ERA in April, but from May's first on, he's been untouchable. He's got a 0.87 ERA, 25 strikeouts in 20 and two-thirds inning pitch from May 1st until today. So Fishman has emerged as our closer. We've had a lot of guys called up um, out of our bullpen, so having Fishman there to stabilize things, it's been great. And he's a guy that his teammates just kind of continuously comment to me. They say, man, Jake Fishman – is a smart guy. And sometimes in the you know, baseball locker room, that's a knock on a guy. But Jake Fishman, I mean, he's a guy that is dedicated to watching video. He's dedicating to his track, dedicated to his track man reports. This guy understands pitching at a kind of a different level. And that's really been something that's made him so successful and allowed him to make big adjustments this season. Lastly, with Dan Venn, with the Dunedin Blue Jays, let me ask you about your big promo nights coming up because you've got a lot of them in a row. We sure do, and we've actually had four major promos in five nights here during this homestand, so all of our staff has been joking that we've called our loved ones and said, you know, we'll talk to you next week because you won't hear from me until then. But tonight we've got beer, bacon, and fireworks, which is exactly what it sounds like. We've got beer, we've got bacon, we've got fireworks, 27 restaurants and breweries serving up food to our fans. Should be a lot of fun. I wish I could participate. Tomorrow, Princesses and Pirates, good one for the kids. Sunday, we're going to celebrate Canada Day. We do a lot of different Canadian things, but we're going to be giving away a Blue Jays hockey puck, which should be pretty cool, and we've seen a lot of good feedback on online. And then on Tuesday, we'll have our big annual Hometown USA celebration, which is baseball, fireworks, and a concert. And it is completely free for anyone who wants to show up. So that one always, we pack the stadium, and 5,000 people, and it's, it's a great baseball. Wonderful. Dan Venn at Galapagos Dan on Twitter, DunedinBlueJays.com. Jim Tarabocchi of the Call of All the Action. If he doesn't, you know Dan has it. Daniel, thank you very much for joining me. Hey, always a pleasure, Jesse. From Dan Venn with Dunedin, let's go down to the Appalachian League. Let me bring in Zach Helton to talk some Bluefield Blue Jays. Zach, how was your past week? Pretty good week, Jesse. How about yours? Hey, my week is good, and then I look up at your hitting numbers, your one-loss record, everything, and I think Zach must be having a whale of a time. I tell you what, it's been uh, been a fun couple of weeks period in Bluefield. 
the past week, though, swept Burlington last weekend, uh, split with Princeton Tuesday night on a, a doubleheader uh, because of a rainout that was a very long night, which we'll kind of talk about that. Last night, they beat Greenville Reds on the road 4-2. to two. So this team is rolling, and uh, they're fun to watch. It's, it's just uh, not uh, – we've got a few people – showing out here early in the year, but overall as a team, they're they're just together on the top step of the dugout cheering everybody on in those close ball games. They are just in it all the way through, and it's fun to watch a team like that. That, to me, describes my lug nuts that I see, but also describes that stereotypical high school or college feel to a team where the team really is one unit. Yeah, it, it kind of feels that way. They feel like uh, uh, really together. I know they live together on a college campus nearby uh, to Bowen Field, but I, I think they do almost everything together. And they're not tired of each other yet, which is pretty great. And I'm hoping they can keep this momentum going for uh, the next couple of weeks into August because uh, it's going to get warm in Bluefield and hopefully keep the bats warm here uh, coming up. The pitching staff as well. I mean, not just the bats, but Pitching staff and defensively, they've got it all covered so far this year. Biggest name on the staff, Eric Pardino. Pretty consistent. Four innings, two hits, one run, five strikeouts so far in each of his first two starts. Yeah, it's. we were talking the other night in the, in the booth after uh, the loss Tuesday night in the second game of the doubleheader. Uh, one nothing loss. Uh, he gave up a solo shot to the second hitter and then pitched uh, a pretty heck of a, a pretty pretty ball game after that. He, the only two games, really, that uh, Pardino has pitched is the only two, run, two games that uh, the Jays haven't put up the run support that he's needed. He's had 10 Ks. He leads the team in that, a 2.25 ERA. And, uh, you know, his 0-2 record, if, if you're looking from the outside and you say, ah, that, that Brazilian kid's not, not on it, he's 0-2, well, you're not coming out to see him because he is throwing hard. He's hitting his spots and he is making some hitters look silly. And he's, when he gets the run support, it's, it's going to be game on for him. I was going through your roster and just saying to myself, I am intrigued by guy after guy after guy. Let me throw out a couple of names at you. What do you think of DJ Daniels so far? DJ Daniels uh, has had a heck of a year, more so defensively than at the plate. But uh, I haven't seen him not track down a fly ball this year. There's been a few in the gap even a few down the line when he's playing left field uh, that you think, oh, this is extra bases. And out of nowhere, he'll make a superb play. And his bat's a little bit behind what the others, I think he's hitting in the high twos right now. But when, when it all clicks for him with the bat, it's, I, don't, I don't see them keeping him off the field because his defense and base running are already there. Looks to me like Hagen Danner's bat has woken up as well. Danner is one of the three catchers uh, Dennis uh, Holmberg will use. And uh, I know it's – me being a former player, I know it's kind of hard to get in the rhythm with, you know, one's catching and one's DHing and one's off, and, and they kind of roll that around a little bit. But Hagen Danner, uh, he's going to be a prospect for years to come. He is finally uh, getting the bat to come around. His defense has always been there. Uh, he called uh, one of the opening games there last week and – was just a bulldog behind the plate, uh, blocking up pitches that, uh, you know, should not have been blocked up. I think he threw out maybe one or two runners. And uh, he's he, all three, him and Kirk, 
uh, all all three of the catchers just have that tremendous know-how with the staff. And I know the language barrier might be a little different at this level as well, but they have been out there communicating with the pitchers. You know, sometimes they might get the signs a little crossed, but they're quick on it and they get it back right. And uh, it's it's not anything that's going to hamper the ball club in any way. They are, are on top of it defensively. And like you said, Danner's plate appearances are picking up and his bat, uh, batting average is picking up. He is going to be a solid player going through the season. Zach, as we wrap things up with you in Bluefield, anything else, any other players or any other stories that you'd like to spotlight? Well, it was like uh, last weekend when we swept Burlington, three pitchers had uh, a combined no-hitter going into the bottom of the ninth, Burlington's last shot at home, and it was a two-out solo shot that broke it up. Uh, and it was a 5-1 victory. Ended up winning it, but uh, it was tough to see those three pitchers. Uh, Claudia Galvia uh, got the win last night. He was a part of that. Uh, just three pitchers working hard and almost got a no-hitter over Burlington. They'll have Burlington come in Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. So I'd like to see, uh, hopefully, maybe match that performance again at home, and that'll be beautiful. Sounds good to me. Zach Heldon, you can find him, the Bluefield Jays, at Bluefield Jays. Meanwhile, Z underscore Heldon on Twitter. Zach, thank you very much for checking in and letting us know how things are going with the Jays' powerhouse in the Appy League. Always a pleasure, Jesse. Uh, looking forward to the rest of the season and talking to you guys again. He's the kind of guy he can make something happen. Here he swings and flies one out to right field. Danny Mars back to the wall and is off the top of the fence. Rolls back toward the right field grass. Davis going for three, and he will get there. Jonathan Davis with the first cycle in Fisher Cats history. It's a leadoff triple in the sixth inning, and the Fisher Cats fans rise to their feet. That was how it sounded, Tyler. How was it to watch the very first uh, cycle in franchise history? It was uh, quite a moment, and uh, it was nice to know right away that we had never done it before because uh, my partner, Bob Lippman, is, uh, he's a lot like you. He's a walking uh, history book when it comes to the, the team he covers. So he probably mentions about once a week that we've never had a cycle in team history for us or against us, and this is our 15th season. So no better guy to get it than Jonathan Davis. Uh, you heard something at the tail end of or the the front end of that call. I'm sure you remember last year and years past, whenever someone was even a triple away from the cycle, everybody would get these alerts on their phone from MILB. And I was like, all right. I mean, Rowdy Tellez, yes, if he triples, it's a cycle, but that might not happen. But with Jonathan Davis, everyone in the building was believing this kid could really make it happen. And uh, once it hit the top of the right field wall, you thought he has a real good chance, and no way he was going to settle for a double on that one, and he, he beat the throw by, by plenty. So it was a, quite a moment. Did Bob, having now finally witnessed the first cycle in team history, pop the bubbly? <laughs> no, no. Maybe at home later in the game. But uh, he, he started to think, okay, what else do I need to see? What other – uh, rare baseball events are left, and he hasn't seen a perfect game yet, which uh, very few minor league broadcasters have seen. But uh, yeah, he's trying to check off the list to see what else there is because he's been us uh, been with us from the beginning. The Fisher Cats, in terms of the one loss record, things still look good from the outside in. So from the inside out, how are you feeling about matters? Yeah, still feeling very good about this team. Um, they got a little bit of help in the standings. The Binghamton went on a big losing streak, so they're pretty comfortable in playoff positioning right now. 
But ever since they've lost Vlad Jr., they've been just a slightly over 500 team. And they're getting plenty of offensive production from you know, the usual suspects. Um, now, Jonathan Davis, as we mentioned, really getting more into that conversation with um, Bo Bichette, with Kevin Biggio. And ever since John Birdie came back, he's been on base in all 17 games so far. So he's uh, really taking this in stride, the whole situation being traded to the Indians and then back to the Blue Jays system in the course of a month. So he's been great. Um, and you mentioned John Harris. His last four starts have been first-round type starts. People were uh, starting to wonder, you know, they, they used a first-round pick on this college pitcher 2015. When was it going to click? Well, for him, it's just been a matter of uh, turning his body more away from the plate, keeping his hands um, in a tough spot to see as well. So he's been more deceptive during these last four starts, and the numbers really show it out uh, because he does have that first-round stuff, and now it seems like he's got – first round deception as well so we're very happy for john harris and uh we hope he gets to stay in triple a kevin biggio well harris has gotten great biggio is currently enjoying a cool june was there a reason for this is there anything that you're seeing well it's something we always have to look at with kevin biggio this is uh our all-star teams just were announced today it's going to be the third time that biggio has made an all-star team in his first three seasons so you think about that and you wonder when the year began, why wasn't he a, a top Blue Jays prospect? He was out of the top 30 for MLB.com. Now he's number 19 in the Blue Jays system because of how well he's played. But the issues in the past couple of seasons have been sustaining that into the second half of the year. So you look at May, he gets nine home runs. It's 327. And so far in June, as you said, a little bit cool, three homers down by the two tens. But I'm not really concerned in the long run. He's still getting quality at-bats, leading the league in walks leading the league in sacrifice flies. He's got the most RBIs as well, and that's not just home runs with guys on base. That's ground balls to get a guy home from third, sack flies, as we just said. So, no, he's not hitting home runs as consistently, but uh, I think pitchers are realizing you have to stay away from middle in and low in against him with that great undercut home run swing from the left side. You have to stay away, and uh, hitters are just doing that more often, which is why I think you're seeing the walks increase and the homers and the batting average dip just a little bit. I'm not sure you're enjoying the fact that you get to put out these graphics. Hey, here are all of our players who are leading the Eastern League. <laughs> um, we, I'm trying not to be too rude about it, but this team has not had a winning record since 2011. So I figure if we're just going to go through the motions with a super team like we seem to have here in New Hampshire, it, it's a wasted opportunity. So, uh, yeah, I guess uh, – I'll never miss an opportunity to troll Kevin Durant for ruining the NBA, but if we can uh, use that at the same time as we promote a, uh, a Fisher Cats accomplishment because uh, we've got half a dozen guys leading the league in a certain category, I mean, we're going to do that every time. So it's, uh, it's been a fun way to promote these guys and how much success they've had. The last time that I remember a Fisher Cats team being strong and prospect-oriented was several years back when they had Marcus Strom and Aaron Sanchez in the starting rotation. And I loved hearing about how good those guys were. You've got this story and sitting next to you in terms of Bob Lippman. So have you talked to him and said, this Fisher Cats team, the best Fisher Cats team since, and did he say 2011? That's the one he keeps comparing it to. And I think he's fully ready to give this team the best ever moniker as long as they can make something happen in the playoffs, as long as they're not gutted after the All-Star break. And I think you've got 
a handful of guys, probably more than a handful, that deserve to be up in AAA Buffalo. Um, so we'll see what happens as we get later into the summer. But I mean, if you keep this core together and you get Vlad back, even for another couple of weeks or so, uh, healthy, then I then yes, Bob, uh, who has been here since the beginning, I think he'd tell you this is the best team we've had. But uh, it's a uh, it's a long long season, Jesse. You know that, and uh, we'll uh, we'll just have to wait and find out. But it's been a whole lot of fun to cover, no question. I do volunteer Lansing, by the way, as a great rehab assignment for Vlad Jr. as he works his way back up to you. <laughs> what a great, great idea. Um, we'll see what we can make happen. I know you guys just had the All-Star game there, and it doesn't sound like he's going to be um, available to play, although you, you never know. Uh, hopefully uh, he's feeling better. And We, we heard, uh, what, four weeks when uh, the news came down, so that was lined up for right around the All-Star break, which comes here on uh, July 9th, 10th, and 11th, so... Uh, any minute now, maybe. Uh, keep keep an eye out, Jesse. Maybe he's coming your way. Okay. We we talk about our teams in two different kinds of conversations. There's the prospect talk, and that is for everybody listening in who's saying, tell me about Bo Bichette. Tell me about Jordan Romano. What can the, these guys do in the major leagues? What value do they have? What comms do they have, et cetera? And then there is that talk about our teams. And so just briefly about your team, the New Hampshire Fisher Cats, you know, you're fighting for playoffs. You're fighting for maybe a chance to win the Eastern League Championship. And you know, look, the odds are Vladdy Jr. is not going to be on your squad when it comes time for the postseason. So has this been good for you, for the Fisher Cats, to play without Vladdy Jr. right now to get used to this? Yeah, that's a great point. And uh, I think, of course, it's good to see what life is like without Vlad and for John Schneider, our manager, who is universally loved, I've yet to find a person who dislikes John Schneider, it's been a great experience for him. The challenge of keeping morale up. Vlad isn't just the best player on this team. He's the best personality. He's the most popular guy. Players gravitate towards him. Uh, someone asked as a, a joke question in a media training session, uh, Vlad, are you the most important person on this team? Trying to get him to give a selfish answer. He said no, of course, but one of the pitchers said, yep, so uh, they all respect him so much, and you, you see the, the numbers may be dipping down a bit uh, team-wide, but I think overall uh, the morale is, is right there. They're still winning. More guys are getting opportunities. That's obviously a big factor because you don't have one guy who has to play every day, has to play third base every day, and the opportunities spreading around the, the lineup, people are really taking advantage. So I think uh, – it is a good experience to play with Athlete, and everyone's responding very well, and I think they just hope they can have a good record for him when he comes back. And lastly, Tyler, do you have any good trade stories to share this week? Trade stories, as in uh, Steve Pierce being traded or uh, tools of the trade type thing? So the former, as a matter of fact. So, for example, any players getting traded, anything that you've heard, any anecdotes around the trade deadline that you know? Hmm. No, I mean, guys will usually tell you these days they, they find out most things from, from social media. I'm sure, like, most of the all-star announcements were found out on social media today. So it, for us, we're looking, of course, at the big league roster to see who might be moved up there and could create some talent in Lansing for you guys, Dunedin, and here in New Hampshire. But uh, right now it feels a little bit uh, what, a month and a couple of days away. But, no, I haven't – been a part of uh, too many direct trades. Uh, so I, I can't help you there, Jesse. I'm sorry. We'll talk tools of the trade. We'll talk the broadcast trade. We'll talk about trade and tariffs coming up on a later Around the Nest. 
Tyler Murray, the voice of the people. Thank you for joining the show this week, sir. Jesse, you're the best. We'll talk to you soon, man. All right. So that's Tyler with New Hampshire. I'm Jesse Goldberg Strassler with the Lansing Lugnuts. I'll tell you one other story. We woke up one day in Beloit, Wisconsin. This must have been 2012. And suddenly, Carlos Perez had disappeared. That was when the Blue Jays made that enormous deal with the Houston Astros. Done a ton of guys to the Strohs. That included the catcher, Perez. What Joe Musgrove was involved, Asher Wojciechowski. That's how things go for us is we never know if suddenly somebody's going to disappear or I walked into the clubhouse and found out from Dawel Lugo, hey, I don't know what to do now. I'm going to the Arizona Diamondbacks. That's the story for the players on one side of the equation. And on the other side of the equation, when suddenly someone walks into your clubhouse, and that's what we could be seeing this year, we are very curious to see, for example, a Santiago Espinal. It's added into the organization. Well, he's a shortstop. He's a shortstop who goes to A Advanced Needham. They've got Kevin Smith playing short. Logan Warmoth is on the DL, but he's a shortstop. And there's Bo Bichette as the shortstop above in AA New Hampshire. So how does everybody's roles fit in? Who plays where? How does it all work? Who bats where in the lineup? That's where everybody gets curious. It is very uh, much the same thing with the Major League Baseball draft, where the players will see who gets drafted, especially at the lower levels, and they'll say, okay, what positions are the Blue Jays focusing on, and how does it affect me? That's from the player's perspective. From my perspective and my role, I get very excited to see new talent joining the system and seeing how everybody performs how the teams are performing as well. Been a joy watching in New Hampshire and Bluefield and Lansing, just how well the teams have uh, have worked together. I, I think of the word cohesive, that they are all one unit, that it is all these guys, all of these individual talents playing together. That has been a great joy to watch. For the Lugnuts, as players have gotten promoted or traded, the fact that the team just keeps winning, entering play today, having won 10 of their last 11 games. For Vancouver, we enjoy watching the talent coming in. For Dunedin, we enjoy seeing how things go, especially with Espinal now joining. And with Ryan Barucki moving up, the fact that that created that opportunity for John Harris, and the first-rounder is looking like a first-rounder, this is a joy. It is our pleasure to bring you what goes on, the observations and the insights around the Toronto Blue Jays organization. Jay talking away on a weekly basis at Around Nest on Twitter. Big thanks to the minor leaguer. Thanks very much to you for tuning in and keeping us company. Whether we're on SoundCloud, Blog Talk Radio, on the pod, it is our, uh, it is whatever I can do to make sure that you can enjoy this and take something away from it. So let me know at Jay Goldstrass, whatever more I can do. Thank you for writing in your questions as well to bluebirdbanter.com. That concludes another week of Around the Nest, a longer show this week. More broadcasters to talk to. We'll see what happens next week. For now, though, enjoy the baseball.